And do you see uh, kilobytes coming up? Yes. Okay, I'm going to do three, two, one, and then we'll clap into our microphones, and that'll give us the waveform for Marshall Tuline. Cool. All right. Three, two, one. Welcome to episode 394 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Brian Levin. And I'm Marshall Bach. Welcome back for another episode. How you doing, Brian? Good. Interview week. Yeah. Uh, been a little while since an interview, and it's always fun to have interviews in service of a listener question, so I'm excited. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, before we get into it, we have some VIPs to shout out this week. Mm-hmm. We have three new VIPs this week. Very okay. important pixels have joined the fam. Huge shout outs to Chris Barrett, Amanda, and Liam Muse. Muse spelled M-E-W-S. Here's my question. Uh-huh. Family name derived from the Pokemon? Or <laughs> Pokemon derived from the family name? Mm-mm. If, if Liam Muse has a son and is a junior, would <gasps> that son be Liam Mewtwo? <laughs> Muse 2. Muse 2. No, in fact, it'd be Liam Muse the second. There you go. <laughs> Uh, thank you, the three of you, yeah. for joining the fam. And, Welcome. You know, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna go out on a limb here and say 100 percent accuracy this week, Brian. Yeah, I think I think a three for three this week. Yeah, nailed it. Nailed it. Thank you all. All right. Uh, if you didn't know, we're a listener supported show, which means that people like you, dear listener, Josh from mm, Los Angeles. Josh from Los Angeles. You know, last week it was Sarah from Springfield. Mm-hmm. Sarah. I mean, I, I use Springfield as like a, there's like 27 Springfields or something in the U.S., so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Broadly applicable. Uh, well, this week, Josh from L.A., if you're listening and if you've been enjoying the show and you want to help make it possible for us to continue recording this every single week, you can do that by going to patreon.com slash design details. Uh, if you support us, it starts at just a dollar a month, and in return, you get access to a bonus episode called The Sidebar. Sidebar, sidebar. Every week we release our main episode, which is usually like a listener question, uh, talking about design. And then we have this bonus episode called The Sidebar, where we will answer either an extra listener question, we'll talk about an extra cool thing in design, share some design tips and tricks. Or in the case of interview weeks, we get to ask our interviewee some bonus questions. So if you want to hear bonus questions with our guests today, be sure to head to patreon.com slash design details and support us. Uh, We really appreciate it. And everyone who joined this week, welcome to the fan. Welcome. All right. Well, this week we are catching up with Joey Banks. Joey Banks is a design systems designer at the website called twitter.com. Heard of it. Heard of it. Have you heard of this website called Twitter, Marshall? It's a place where people can talk about, I don't know, what they had for breakfast, news, that kind of stuff. (laughs) Uh It's a pretty simple, down-to-earth little website. Take pictures of your food. Yeah, yeah, I've been there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They have this really quirky thing where when you say something, it's called a tweet. Oh. And then sometimes you can say things that don't really last a long time, like say 24 hours, and we call those fleets. Oh. And sometimes if you're using the website while you're using the bathroom, we might call that a toop. Uh, okay. And if you have a friend on the website, you might call him a tweet. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Anyways, Joe, Joey's a design systems designer at Twitter. Previously, he was a design advocate at Figma. Before that, a product designer at Verta Health, uh, Scoot, among other companies. Joey's been on the show before, episode 110. If you want to hear that episode, we'll have a link in the show notes. But Joey's just a wonderful human being. And we're happy to have him on the show today to talk about contributing to open source design. 
Yeah. So without further ado, here's our conversation with Joey Banks. Okay. Joey Banks, welcome back to the podcast. Uh, something like five years later. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It's it's sort of funny how long it's been, but also because time just doesn't really have a meaning yeah. anymore, how short <laughs> it's been as well. Yeah. But it, it's so good to be back. I really appreciate you asking me. Yeah. yeah. We'll have a, a link in the show notes, but it is episode 110, Man <laughs> Patient Zero. <laughs> Don't know where the title came from, but... Uh... I was just beginning to try web development, and I told Bryn that I was using MAMP, and uh, he was not impressed. So <laughs> <laughs> I think that's where it came from. Hey, MAMP is fine, honestly, right? Isn't that still... Like an acceptable stack? That's what I thought. <laughs> okay. I haven't tried since, so. <laughs> okay. Well, luckily, we're not here to talk about web development. So we have a, a listener question that came our way. And I don't know that we're going to answer it exactly, but we're going to answer sort of a variant of it. And I was thinking, like, who would be someone that should come in and help us answer this question? So before we do that, for people who don't know about you or haven't heard you before on the podcast, could you just give a quick intro and then I'll I'll read the question for you. Yeah, sure. So my name's Joey, and I am a product designer. I'm I'm now based in Ohio. I used to live in San Francisco for about six years, and then Ohio before that. So I kind of just came back to where I grew up. But let's see. I'm a product designer at Twitter. Um, I'm working on design systems. And then before Twitter, I was over at Figma working as a designer advocate. And yeah, I think that's a little bit about me, I guess. I don't want to make it all work-related, but... You drive a um, nice car. I guess we're talking tell, design. Tell me about your car yeah. obsession. <laughs> Well, my I, I don't know if I, I it's 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 a, maybe a quarter life crisis, but I've got a um, <laughs> 2016 Mustang GT that I, I love so much. It's like it's that's kind of my thing, like away from the computer, you know, just to like take a little bit of break and try to get better with my hands. But yeah, you'll on the weekends and the nights, you'll either find me cleaning that car uh, <laughs> or or just driving around Ohio. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's funny. There, there's like a group of people. Or I don't know exactly where the qualifying point is, but some people just like going for a drive. Oh, that's me. And yeah. I think there's there's this other group of people who don't understand that at all. Like, why would you just go drive? <laughs> yeah, it totally, I think it's a Midwest thing. Like in high school, that was like the end goal was just, I can't wait to be old enough so I can just go for a drive. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah. When you grow up in the middle of nowhere, yep. <laughs> a drive is freedom. Yes, exactly. All right. Well, let's get to our question. Again, I don't think we're going to be answering this quite in the way the this person intended, but we're going to get a good uh, conversation out of it regardless. Okay, so Flying Juggernaut asked us on GitHub, my question to you is, why would a designer contribute to open source design communities? What are the benefits for a designer to spend valuable time contributing to these? Do you contribute? And if so, why? I could see entry-level designers contributing to gain some experience or projects for their portfolio, but for designers that have been working for some time, apart from exposure or reputation, I can't make sense of it. So you have this very interesting, I don't know, side line of work. I guess side projects would be the (laughs) correct phrase for that, where you've been releasing stuff on Figma like a mad person. Like I have your (laughs) Figma profile pulled up and I think your most popular file is your iOS and iPadOS 14 UI kit for Figma with over 107,000 downloads. It's wild. But you yeah. also have a Big Sur UI kit. You have like a Swift UI input kit, mockups for modern devices, iOS 13 kit, on and on and on, like file after file after file. I'm like, all right, why? Why do you do all of this? And I think this, <laughs> this question asker wonders yeah. the same thing. Why do you design like you're running out of time? Design yeah. day and <laughs> night like you're running out of time. Let's just start here. Like, what's uh, yeah. motivating you to contribute to the design community in this way? 
Yeah. Well, I really appreciate the question. I think there's a lot to answer here. And it it's something that, to be honest, I I didn't really ever see myself like, I don't know, being being in the position of of being able to contribute so much to Figma and honestly like having, I guess, like the time or energy. But I, I think a couple of things kind of contributed towards it. So where I, you know, it, it was the Figma uh, kind of community, as we know today, launched, I think, early last year, early 2020, or maybe late, late 2019, if I'm remembering right. But also the pandemic hit. And for me, at least, I really started like posting a lot in March or April of 2020. And as we all know, like that was that period was just so stressful. I had friends who were coming down with COVID, family members, and I'm a type one diabetic. And like I, you know, from everything on paper, I was also pretty at risk. And I think for me, like it started, and when I say it, I just mean like creating things that I thought could be useful and posting them to the community. It just kind of started as a way to distract myself a little bit. And I, you know, another contributing factor was I I had a lot of friends who were losing their jobs and just kind of like struggling in general. Like what, what a challenging time to, you know, be a, a worker of any sort, but, you know, to be a designer, maybe just starting out trying to get, you know, into the field and understand like the, the ins and outs of design for many people, like not having to be in the office just added like so much complexity to feeling comfortable in the job. And I think all those reasons just kind of contributed towards like, hey, I, I have a little bit of time now that I'm not commuting so much. I'm pretty stressed out given all of the events. And for whatever reason, I, my brain and myself just wanted to make things and and to try to like create through it, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So how did you decide what to make? Obviously, I'm seeing a, a strong bias towards the Mac, iOS, just yeah. like Apple ecosystem. But you have a bunch of other kinds of files. Like, how do you decide where to spend your time? I think one that really got me excited was early on, I made a, um, what I called like a resume template file. And it was this file that like, it it wasn't anything too fancy, but it was just like five or six resume templates that I created because again, like had people losing or had friends who were losing jobs. And the last thing you kind of want to do when you're, you know, concerned about your livelihood and looking for another job and kind of in the stress of it all is like, go back and like format your resume, right? And I just thought like that could be an interesting way to like one, use the Figma community to try, try a little bit of like print design, so to speak. And three, just like if I can help someone, you know, improve five minutes of their day, I thought it was really exciting to do and, and a pretty big privilege. So I, I started there and then I, I'm a huge Apple nerd. We're on video right now, so you can't see me for the listeners, but like I've got a Mac Finder pillow behind me and a giant Mac icon <laughs> behind me. And I, I think like many designers, like Apple has always inspired me. There's a lot with, you know, that we can talk about as far as like the corporate culture. But I think from a design perspective, kind of the, the yearly like exciting releases of, of what Apple releases and how it pushes design forward and how it pushes like our community forward and how we interact with each other is, is just, I don't know, something I've always looked forward to and, and really appreciate. So I, I think when it came to creating like the iOS and, and Mac specific kits, a big part of that honestly was recognizing a little bit of a need of my own. Like whenever I started a project, there were always elements that I was like looking after, right? Like I needed a status bar or I needed a tab bar. And it was like these same things that I was constantly looking for. But for whatever reason, I was always searching in different files. Like I was Googling around and I was, you know, maybe using um, the official like Apple ones from Sketch. And then because I was working in Figma, I'd have to port them over. And I was just like doing that so many times. I was like, wait, what if I just tried to create one that maybe I can use for myself? And then again, if someone else could use it, it could be a win. And that's kind of, I guess, how that started and how that has kept going. 
Yeah, I, I suppose we could have a whole other sort of speculative side project here around like why Apple is so late to the Figma game because they have been releasing their sketch templates for several years. Right. But you would think, I don't know, like iOS 14, that kind of would have been the year where I'm like, all right, now's the time for a Figma resource, like first party. But even before that, like I think you can look back at just sort of the the history of releasing UI kits like this. It's obviously happened for a long time, but I think TN and Lax really popularized it when mm. they came out with their, mm-hmm. what was it, like iOS 7? Pre-7. Earlier. Yeah. They had their iOS kit way back in the day. And that it was like funny for them to do it as an agency, right? Like really put them on the map. So I'm curious like what inspiration you drew from prior art like that and versus, you know, kind of starting from scratch and doing things your own way. Yeah, I, I I look up to them a lot. I remember downloading those kits back in the day and just like the level of like specifically like the level of detail that they would put in them, like the, the screens created and like it, it was pixel perfect. Like you had very few images. A lot of things were recreated. Mm-hmm. I, I found that to be interesting. One for just kind of like seeing the, the, the talent and the time that was like poured into those kits. But also, I mean, back then I was just starting out as a designer and it was so helpful for me to see like how others were creating their files. And I really, really appreciated it for that perspective as well. So a, a lot of the like iOS and Mac work really like, you know, I, I want to say like, I really respect and look up to the designers who are creating the official Apple ones. There's so much, again, like so much detail and craft poured into those that really make them special. I really don't know about, about the Figma side of things, but it, it would be amazing to have, you know, a supported kit one day from Apple. But as far as where I was kind of looking at, I, I was taking a lot of screenshots and I was, you know, just staying up late at night, just trying to recreate things. And part of the fun, I think, was I was recreating elements that I found to be challenging. I was drawing icons. I'm, I'm still pretty bad at drawing icons, but I was trying to attempt to draw icons that I felt, you know, found to be pretty challenging. I was, re, you know, trying to recreate gradients. And a lot of that work just, you know, looking back on the last year, I, I think like, I think there's something to be said about working too much, absolutely. But I think a lot of that work and a lot of that time just kind of got me through what at the moment seems like a very unbearable time. Mm-hmm. And it was just a lot of that kind of like heads down, like flow state of work and, and you know, looking up to others and respecting the work well, well before me and just trying to do a little bit to to practice and to, and to give back a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I think as well, like one thing that I really care about and one one. I guess area that really drives me with these kits in general is I, I think all tools are, are, you know, becoming so intuitive and so well designed, but I think there's always a little bit of a struggle for any designer to pick up a new tool and to try to like, you know, they want to, they're, they're focused on their job and their task and the project. And like the last thing you want to get in the way is the tool. And I think a big part of this for me, and especially at the time, you know, working as a Figma designer advocate was how can I just help like a younger designer, like, work past the tool and to like help them get their projects done. You know what I mean? And if part of that could be like serving up a kit or creating a kit that maybe put in like best practices along the way, or just showed examples of how to do things like through, I guess, the use of like components, that was something that really inspired me as well. Yeah. I think this is one thing that is very, I mean, maybe people grasp this intuitively, but I think putting the the label leverage on this makes this really clear to understand like every hour of input that you have on a resource like this has n hours of output in terms of time saved for other people Mm -hmm. i mean you could imagine i don't know you've probably spent hundreds of hours on these kits but collectively saved people thousands or tens of thousands of hours of redesigning a status bar over and over and over again right so it's really cool to see like leverage in this way and have it 
be sort of empowered by like the Figma platform, their the new like community directory. Like it certainly seems to have helped here versus, you know, like downloading a PSD that you had to like go yeah. and find somewhere else, right? Yeah. You know what's funny is like for the longest time the Figma community didn't have comments and they recently just announced that feature. Yeah. And it, it's funny, it's like I I never, you know, I it was grateful to get feedback sometimes on Twitter, but I didn't realize like what not having comments kind of meant at the time. But now that that's out there, it, it's funny. It's like like once, maybe once a week or so, I'll see a new comment on that file. And, you know, it's someone either saying like, thanks, or letting me know of a, a bug that I need to fix. Um, but mostly saying like, thanks. I guess it's, I just bring that up because it's, I guess I'm surprised and, and just really appreciative of how much those comments mean. Uh, just because like you said, like a large amount of time goes into it, but getting to realize, you know, very like matter of factly of how much time maybe this saves someone or that this kit was helpful for someone at maybe a company I look up to or yeah. with a team I really respect. Like that is, I don't know, that's that that is like the coolest thing in my mind is it's just knowing that perhaps a team out there is using a pixel that I made uh, to maybe make their product <laughs> yeah. Yeah. is uh, is kind of nerdy and kind of fun and just, I guess, humbling at the end of the day. Hey, as long as it's going on your performance review, that's all that I want to <laughs> make sure that this work is yeah. recognized. Okay, well, that actually brings me to something I want to talk about, which is like, what are the trade-offs of doing this kind of work? You know, you mentioned this was for you largely about escapism, play, learning. Like these are all positive things. You're getting so much out of this. For me, I look at like the comment feature on Figma and on one hand, I'm like, oh, that's cool. This is going to be social. And on the other hand, it just reminds me of basically the shit that open source developers have to deal with on a daily basis on platforms like GitHub, which is comment after comment saying like, this is broken, please add this. Just kind of demanding your time energy, attention. So maybe it's not that specifically, but I'm curious like what trade-offs you've encountered from building all this and perhaps even just like doing so much community work and giving it away for free. Like what are the side effects that people should know about? It's a really good question. I think one area that like doing this specifically for design maybe maybe doesn't have like as strong of an implication as, you know, something being broken on a piece of open source software, or open source code is that designers are able to fix any bugs, right? Like it's it's not it's not prohibiting anyone from like moving forward with using the element. Like it might be maybe halfway there, or maybe there's a blur that's missing or a color that that is wrong. Um, those things are pretty easily changeable, I guess, by the end designer. And I think that part is is what's a little bit different or in the way like that part gives you a little bit like of a maybe a, a little bit more of a detachment from the like open source piece of design that you put out there. Mm. Like I never really felt the need to like jump on at 2 a.m. If, if someone left a comment or tweeted like, hey, this like color is totally wrong. Like maybe internally, I like a part of me felt that, but I was always pretty restrictive to not to not do that, especially if I'll trying to like prioritize health and everything. I, I think as well, you know, Whatever kit or, you know, this kit in particular, like there's always so much more work you can do on them. There's so much more I wish I would have put into the iOS 14 one. And there's so many more resume templates I'd love to like put out there. I think it's just trying to find a balance of like what is going to be useful for the largest number of people. And again, it's like, you know, it's such a privilege if one, I I, I think it's just amazing if one person downloads this and uses it, right? And I think that is like inspiring enough where I, I can say like, is this good enough for one person out there to help them, you know, save five minutes? Like that's kind of what, I don't know, makes me, makes me happy at the end of the end of the day. So yeah, I guess I have a lot of thoughts there, but personally, and, and looking back on it, I saw a lot more upsides than downsides. How about this? Have you thought of monetizing this? <laughs> 
this kind of work? Honestly, no. And the reason is like, it's not my work. I mean, I'm recreating things, but it's, mm. it's the UI of like designers who are so much more talented than I am. Right. Like I think it'd feel very weird and very personally, I think unethical for me to like take money from recreating other people's works. Pay me for tracing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like maybe, you know, I, I, yeah, I just, it's not really something I've ever thought of. And I don't think it's ever something that I, I want to do just because like, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm creating these because I, I think it's a lot of fun. Um, I'm creating them because I the design community has given me a lot, and I feel like this is maybe a small way to give back. And like I said, like it's it's others' work. I'm just trying to repurpose it with fun things like variants and auto layout along the way. Okay, I'm gonna push you on question. that. I think that's a very interesting conversation to have around. Like, yes, you're recreating iOS, which was designed by somebody else. But the value is literally in the recreation. Like that's where the value is being derived, right? Like you've put in the time to save other people time. But you also release a bunch of other stuff. Like you have an interface input kit, like the resume templates. You have a calendar widget. You have the file thumbnail kit for Figma. Like all of these have thousands to tens of thousands of downloads. And I mean, I get that you're trying to give things back to the community, but like, what is your take on monetization or, you know, if we move away from the Apple stuff towards your more original work, is that Uh, an angle for you? You know, to be honest, where I personally see the value from doing these things, and maybe it sounds silly, maybe I'm missing, (laughs) maybe I'm missing tens of thousands of dollars here, but honestly, like creating these kits and working on these like design elements and files after hours where I personally see the value for me is the f- like I, I feel like this work is helping me level up as a designer and is therefore allowing me to get, you know, a job like the one I have at Twitter. I don't think it's like this kit that directly related to my hiring at Twitter, but I think like the familiarity of of working with like so many components and and so many different like I guess design challenges with how these components might be built, you know, whatever, whatever the, the actual component itself, I think it was just like, I kind of looked at it as like 10,000 hours of practice, you know, not that it was 10,000 hours, but it was kind of that same like formula for me. I, I, it could totally be fine, but personally I just felt and do feel that like monetizing something like this would add a little bit more stress than I guess I was ever looking for Mm -hmm. to this. Um, like it's not really something I want to think about in that way. It's more of just, Hey, it's like Sunday night, you know, I've got something on in the background and I kind of just want to like escape from the world a little bit. This is where I want to pour my time. And I I think in doing that, honestly, like I, I guess I just personally like feel more confident and comfortable, like in the tool, I feel more comfortable, like as a designer. And I I feel, you know, at the end of the day, like with iOS, I, I feel much more comfortable with like knowing the different components and what's, what styles are used and what elements are used where. And yeah, so yeah, I guess it's more personal in that way than, than wanting to, I guess, take money from it, if that makes sense. My hunch is that in in your lifetime, you will derive 10 to 100 times more financial value by having given this away for free than you would have by selling it, just in terms of mm-hmm. the reputation that you've built for yourself and the opportunities and doors it's opened, the skills that you've learned. So yeah, I'm on board. I think this is like, yeah, a whole other separate conversation about like kind of yeah. the maker movement or the creator movement we're in right now where there is tooling and platforms and socially acceptable practices of trying to sell every little thing on the internet, especially digital things. Uh, So I was curious how you're going to navigate that. Yeah, it's a really good question. And, you know, I think the other thing that comes to mind is something like something like any of these templates could be priced at a really, really low price. But I think in doing that, like, 
no matter what the cost, like it's going to be restrictive to someone. And I, the biggest thing that I've taken away from this entire experience of posting to Figma is just the people that I've met or like the people who have connected with me from it. Yeah. And if it was restrictive, like if someone weren't able to download it or if someone like, you know, if the price was restrictive from them to be, you know, being able to like grab something and reference it or use it and, you know, having them like add stress to their own job and own working like that. I don't know that that just isn't worth it to me. Um, like I'd, I'd much rather, as you said, like give back in that way or maybe have that be just a, a free resource for helping me, I guess, get feel further ahead and, and for someone else to feel further ahead as well. Give me a, a tactical tip here just to wrap up. Yeah. Tactical tip for someone who might want to emulate what you've done. So perhaps someone a few years into their career, maybe they want to like create resources. They're not sure where to start. They're not sure how to market it. They're not sure how to like leverage these things into opportunities. Can you share some tips about what you've done or found success in as far as creating, marketing, distributing these resources? Yeah. I mean, before I say anything, like I should acknowledge like I had so much privilege like being a design advocate at Figma because I the platform kind of helped me as I was helping the platform. Did you um, juice I, the algorithm, Joey? <laughs> no, Did you? No. You sneaky, like, sneaky dog. <laughs> the only file available for a day is Joey's file. No, nothing like that. Featured file um, all year, Joey. <laughs> but I, I think like my takeaway from this and the one thing that I can share is I, I never went into creating these things as a way to like boost cloud or, or to market it or, or to do any sort of thing like that was self-promotional. I think that's been a lot of like byproduct of this. Like I've been able to connect with a lot more people um, through it. But I think what I'll say is when I was creating this, what I was looking to do was create a file, no matter the file, but create a file that was like understandable for anyone and everyone. And I think like a tactical tip of that is like, sounds silly, but like naming your layers and commenting the file. Speaking just Marshall's language. Taking- yes. Thank <laughs> yeah, you. I'm raising my arms in triumph here. Yes. I fully agree. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, it, it's a lot of work and it's tedious. But again, like that practice helped me, I think, become a better designer when it comes time to like hand off a file to another designer or when an engineer is inspecting it. But for someone who is downloading a file or duplicating a file and just taking a look for the very first time, I don't think it can ever be overstated like that the aid that that seeing a full list of like name layers can have as far as understanding like the different elements and how to interact with it. Um, and it's just good practice, right? Mm-hmm. So all I'm trying to say there is putting your own level of detail and satisfaction into it and, and making it for you at the end of the day. I think that's, it sounds cliche, but I, I think that's what's going to lead to like a good resource is when you actually believe in it, when you know the details, when you've like put the work in, I guess, to make yourself happy. I think it's very likely that you're going to make someone else happy and it's going to be like a, a great thing to share and, and for others to share. And I think that's kind of what happened here. I definitely was not expecting this to ever reach even 10,000 duplications. So the fact that it's 10x that now is just kind of unbelievable. But yeah, just putting in the the detail that you care about, I think, is really the tip that I have. Do the work. I love it. Uh, In the interest of time, let's get into some cool things. Cool. Do you want to start with a cool thing or do you want Marshall and I to to break the ice? Why don't you guys go ahead? I'd love to hear what you have. Okay. I think I want to go first. I'm, I'm cheating. I took this from Marshall. Marshall sent me a YouTube channel this week. Last week, what's the channel name? Even I'm not even sure. It's just one playlist that I care about. I think it's called Screen Rant. Is that right? Screen Rant. Yeah. Okay. So the YouTube channel is Screen Rant. The playlist is called Pitch Meetings or something Mm -hmm. like that. Have you heard of this, Joey? Sorry, no, I haven't. I was on. I was on mute. Okay. Here's the the short of it. Pitch meetings are like five minute videos of one guy talking to himself, like switches perspective. Right from one side, he is the writer or creator of a movie. And from the other side, 
it is the producer. And so it's always the writer pitching the producer, but it's all the, I don't know, popular mainstream movies like pitch for the Avengers, pitch for, I don't know, Captain America, pitch for Justice League, the Snyder Cut. But the angle on this is just ripping holes in how dumb some of these movies really are. So the writer might say, um, okay, so the Avengers are going to start and Loki is going to be the bad guy. And the producer will say, wait, but didn't Loki die in the previous movie? And the writer will say, yes. And they'll say, well, how are we going to explain that? Oh, we won't. We'll just move on. And the producer will be going, great, great idea. That's really smart. <laughs> wow. So it's just like wow, wow, cutting. Wow. wow, wow, wow. It's just deep cuts into plot holes, dumb decisions, bad dialogue. We'll just use a time machine. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's like cinema sins, but not so terrible. Yeah. And it's very Funny. short. I like, yeah. they're like five to seven minutes. And I'll just say it might have destroyed my love for like a bunch of mainstream movies because it really rips them to shreds to the point where if I see a pitch meeting for a movie that I really love, I'm like, Ooh, I don't know if I'm ready to not like the movie anymore. <laughs> uh, but the play, it is very funny. It's a good time. So we'll have a link in the show notes. Cool. Okay, so my cool thing this week, I'm, I'm back on my music thing here. So I, I don't think this is going to be surprising anybody of like, oh, I've never heard of this before. But uh, Olivia Rodrigo, she wrote that driver's license song. Um, never heard of her or there it, is, I don't Okay, think. there was even like an SNL skit on it. I don't know if that's the gauge of something being popular or not. But uh, she wrote this song. I think she's like in her late teens, but she's an amazing songwriter beautiful voice and this driver's license song i think spoke to a lot of people both of that age and and older nostalgically great song and and she has another song that just recently came out called deja vu which is also very well written and and well performed and she has a new album coming out next wednesday i think probably the day this episode airs so check that out it's called sour She's a she's an amazing talent, and I think if her first two songs are any indication, like she will be somebody to watch moving forward. So you're going to get to Rodrigo. claim the the hipster credit on this one. If, if <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. not exactly early. I mean, the, the, when Saturday Night Live has done a skit on an on an artist, like uh, oh yeah, not enough. exactly early, but yeah, fair. fair yeah. All right, Joey, over to you. Yeah, um, mine's a little Mac utility that's really helped me, I think, since like working from home and just, I don't know, being on the computer so much. It's a little app called Hazeover. Uh-huh. And I shared this on Twitter a little while ago, and it seemed to get, I don't know, so just some some interest in and a couple of individuals saying that they found a lot of benefit from it, so I wanted to share it. But essentially what this app does is uh, when you select a window, it will dim everything behind it. So it'll dim your wallpaper, it'll dim the other apps, mm-hmm. and you can change it to, you know, if I click on Chrome and I have several Chrome windows open, you can have all of the Chrome windows up front, or you can dim the other ones that aren't active. And it sounds so small, but truthfully, like, just, it, it helps me so much in, like, focusing, but also in eye strain as well. Not having, like, so many bright things yeah. on your display all day has been awesome. So I just wanted to share that. And again, it was called Haze Over. This looks cool. fantastic. Link in the show notes looks like it's five bucks on the Mac App Store. You can tell we've run out of cool utilities to share because I'm, like, you know, digging through movies and books and TV shows and music and stuff. <laughs> like, it's good to have a design utility uh, back in the cool thing. <laughs> but this is awesome. Yeah. This is so practical because even yeah. now, I would say almost macOS 11, Big Sur, is almost worse than any previous macOS version in terms of providing good contrast on the focused window. I don't know what it is about the new menu bars, like 
the new menu bars generally have less contrast on on buttons and things. I don't know if they changed the drop shadows on focus windows, but I have two windows right now side by side behind our our video chat and it takes a little bit of work to figure out which one I'm actually going to be typing into. So this looks awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It makes it really, really clear. And I think even just as a way of like trying to stay a little bit more focused, I guess, both literally and figuratively, it's super helpful. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank I, awesome. It's like, it's the Beyond Hand Mirror. It is one of my favorite apps. Yeah. Shout out to Rafa for Hand Mirror. But yeah. yeah, it's definitely worth, have we ta- definitely worth five bucks. Have we done Hand Mirror? I think we might have talked about Hand Mirror, but if not, Hand yeah. Mirror is another good one. We'll have a link in the show notes. Yeah. I'm sorry, I just gave two. Double, <laughs> double whammy. These are good. <laughs> All right, this has been episode 394 of the Design Details Podcast. Thank you again so much to Joy Banks for joining us to talk about contributing to open source design. If you enjoyed it, let us know what you thought. We're on Twitter at Design Details FM. Tweet at us. We love hearing from you. Of course, be sure to tweet at Joey if you liked hearing what he had to say. And we'll have a link to his Figma profile. And he's also Joey A. Banks on Twitter. If you uh, are enjoying the show and want to consider supporting us, you can do so by going to patreon.com slash design details. And for just a dollar a month, you can support the show, join our fam of very important pixels, and you'll get access to a bonus segment, bonus episode every single week called The Sidebar. Sidebar, sidebar. And on interview weeks, The Sidebar is bonus questions with our guests. So if you are a Patreon supporter, head over to The Sidebar for some bonus questions with Joey. Otherwise, we will catch you next week. No mountain too tall and good luck to all, which is a line from a podcast that I listen to called Too Beautiful to Live. And it's one of my favorite sayings. No mountain too tall, good luck to all. That's it. Love it. Well, thank you, Joey. Thanks for having me. Otherwise, we will catch you next week. Bye. <laughs> that was like, it was like martial light. Yeah, yeah. More <laughs> conviction. Yeah, yeah. Give me a little more <laughs> conviction. Wait, can I, there, there's a phrase that a podcast that I listen to says at the end of every, everyone, and it's, it's good luck to all and no mountain too tall. And it's just like one of the things that always sticks in my mind is that dumb to no, say. No, 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 go for it. it. All right. I'm good. Can I plug the podcast? Is that okay? Yeah, yeah, I don't sure. want to just steal it. Yeah. Okay, cool. All right. And good luck to all and no mountain, no. I messed it up. <laughs> it's like six right. words. Come on. <laughs> I need Brian. I need you to. I need you to point to me. Okay. <laughs> no mountain too. T- uh. <laughs> no mountain too tall. And good luck to all.